Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Oderico, and joining me is LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teacher professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome uh, once again to the Women of Golf. I'm Ted Rodrigo, and right alongside, of course, is LPGA professional and Legends Tour player Cindy Miller. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you today? Um, well, I'm doing a little bit better, as I mentioned to you off air. I've, I'm kind of getting over a, a little bit of illness, but uh, nothing, nothing too tragic, so hopefully I won't uh, keel over in the middle of our, our broadcast this morning, but uh, I think I'll be fine. Uh, we got a great show, uh, everybody, and thank you again for joining us live. Uh, we're going to be joined here in just a moment uh, by uh, a, a good, become a good friend, really, of the show, Mike Nichols, uh, the Chief Business Officer of uh, the Symmetra Tour. He's been an integral part, really, in, in helping us to showcase some of the very talented young ladies who uh, venture out each season on the Symmetra Tour, and he's going to help us launch yet another season. Uh, I believe he said his eighth season uh, at that uh, at that juncture, so... Uh, we're very, very excited to help him launch it, and we're looking forward, uh, beginning next week, uh, hosting some of these uh, uh, young ladies who are, are going to come out and, and do battle out on the Symmetra Tour. So I guess, Cindy, without any further ado, let's welcome our, our special guest this morning, Mike Nichols, Chief Business Officer of the Symmetra Tour. Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year to you both. If we can still happy say New Happy Year. New Year in March, if we can say Happy New Year in March, but... Uh, it's a, it's a new year for us on the Symmetra Tour with the season starting this week. So we'll, we'll say Happy New Year just this one last time. <laughs> we're, we're all for that. Um, Cindy, go ahead. I'll let you start off. So what scoop, news, excitement do you have that you believe is going to happen in 2020? Tell us. Oh, the scoop. Well, see, this this is like a dangerous place. You know, everybody always says, well, who are the players to watch? And I think that kind of is what makes each year so uh, interesting is because we really don't know, to be honest with you, who's going to finish in that uh, in that top 10. And, uh, you know, with the last couple of years, we've you know, the the player of the year has been a, a rookie. So it's been a player who hasn't been with us. And um, as we see in women's golf right now, the players are getting younger and younger and ha- having success at a you know at an earlier age so it, it's really hard to uh make any sort of predictions and that's just not me being cagey maybe i maybe i should be just because in in my role you don't want to pick favorites but um the one thing i'll say is that in my eight years um the depth of talent right now on the symmetra tour is so much greater than it was um when i started so like my first year uh on tour we played 15 times and we played for uh, about $1.6 million. And if you won at one of those 15 tournaments, you pretty much were guaranteed to have a spot on the on the Symmetra Tour. And then even a couple uh, years ago, we had somebody who won a couple of times, twice on tour. Unfortunately for her, it didn't happen in our bigger purse events, but she didn't end up getting her uh, her card. So 
what really has to happen right now is we'll play 20 times this year for an average of $180,000 purse, which is the highest in tour history. But players are going to have to be consistent because um, that's that's what it takes, you know, to make it into that top 10 on the Symmetra Tour. And then, you know, that that's good because that's what it takes to be successful on uh, on the LPGA Tour as well. So uh, I, we're sort of like the uh, like the football fan who has all the promise at the beginning of the season for their NFL team to be good. Or spring training is probably the better analogy right now because we're in the middle of spring training and every team is, you know, zero and zero and hope springs eternal. So that's kind of how it is uh, on the Symmetra Tours. It's a new season and we'll we'll see who rises to the top. Let me ask you, how many players, and you may not know the answer to this, have gone through the Symmetra Tour. How many members are there of the Symmetra Tour total for 2020? Whether they're so, exempt, whether they're not exempt, total. Yeah, so it's I don't know the exact number because we sort of take memberships up. Like there's some players who are still hurt who haven't signed up for membership, but we typically have about 300 players who take membership. And I think last year, uh, I, was, I do know this because I just asked our statistics uh, uh, lady who runs statistics for us, that like 263 different people uh, got starts on the Symmetra Tour last year. So obviously in some cases, there'll be people who have one uh, start because they're a local player and the tournament's in their hometown, that kind of thing. But I think you can realistically look and say, you know, that of those members, probably 250 of those players are members who who got starts in fields up to 144 players. So it's there's a lot of players who are, you know, just looking for their opportunity in many cases. And let me ask you this, of the 260, how many years does it typically take for them to become one of the top 10 or to qualify for some kind of uh, eligibility on the LPGA Tour? How many really move forward? Do you have any idea? Yeah, I I mean, these are are good questions. I I didn't realize I had to be so prepared this morning, but um, the um, (laughs) – But typically, I think the last couple of years, and I have to double check this, but approximately sort of in the range of five or six of the players who've been in the top 10 were rookies. Um, Now, last year was different. We actually had a number of players last year who were uh, were not even rookies on the LPGA Tour. Some of the players ended up going back to the Tour. So you had a player like Julieta Granada, and she's an interesting story because you know, Julieta Granada, as people remember, her rookie year on the LPGA Tour, she you know became sort of the million-dollar baby when she won the ADT championships and the million-dollar first prize, and that that was her only win. And she struggled with you know injuries and whatnot, and uh, she had partial status last year on the LPGA Tour and came out and played fairly well in the first couple of Symmetra Tour events and really committed herself to playing full-time on the Symmetra Tour once she realized, hey, if I just stick this out, I'm going to finish in the top 10 and sort of be able to set my schedule next year on the LPGA Tour. So it's um, we're, we're seeing definitely more, um, I would say, not only, I would say the younger players are finding success much earlier, but we're also having players who are coming back, again, due to injury or swing struggles. I mean, we all know how fleeting the game of golf can be, and um, so it's a, sort of an interesting blend of players right now on tour, which makes it uh, which makes it interesting because somebody if we look at our field list and see, hey, you know, this week in Florida is natural. There's a number of players in the field who uh, who have name recognition on the LPGA tour, and they may get beat by a bunch of players that people necessarily haven't heard of because we've got young players coming in from 
from all over the world. I mean, by my own admission, you know, Hannah Green, who uh, was the, I think she finished about third on our money list, you know, two years ago, I'd never heard of Hannah Green before she arrived. And, you know, the year after she graduated from our tour, she won the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, one of our majors. So um, sort of a little bit to your uh, sort of initial question, Cindy, is what we're finding is that the players that were graduating from the Symmetra Tour are finding success a lot quicker. Um, back in 2013 when I started, frankly, we were just hoping that our players that we were graduating would would uh, make the cut. And this last year, you know, we had, you know, Nelly Corda won a couple of times. Celine Boudier won a couple of times. Uh, Hannah Green, as I mentioned, uh, this year, uh, Madeline Sagstrom won our tournament, our new tournament down in uh, Boca Raton, and she was our 2016 Player of the Year. So the players are finding uh, success much earlier than than they did in the early years, which is good because that says, you know, that whatever we're doing in terms of course setups or the level of competition that's on the Symmetra Tour that's happening when they get to the LPGA Tour, uh, it's not markedly different. And that's ultimately what you want to see. That's awesome. Thanks. I, I, I am asking all these questions because we now have one of our students that, you know, I'm her golf mother. And she has uh, down in Florida working on her game, just graduated from college, wants to play on the Symmetra Tour, but doesn't want to turn pro. She's not quite ready. So, again, it's an expectation thing. And you want to say uh, it, the, the level of how, you know, how much you put in is hopefully going to be delayed gratification and what you get out of it. So thank you that, for that. Ted, go ahead. Yeah, and just- and one, one other thing I'll just mention, um, and this is maybe a little bit more inside baseball, but one of the things that we found is that, um, you know, as I mentioned, so we were talking, we have 250 players, 144 of which are, um, you know, playing week in, week out. So you have sort of 100 players who are sitting on the sidelines and may not necessarily get reps. And, you know, you, you, as you all know, that you can't play good golf without getting tournament reps. You know, there's a long way from the driving range or even just, you know, playing around with family and friends, you know, the $5 Nassau to playing tournament golf. So we uh, established an official relationship uh, with the WAPT, the Women's All-Pro Tour, where um, players uh, on the Symmetra Tour who aren't, um, who haven't sort of, who aren't in the Symmetra Tour event that week can play on the WAPT Tour and possibly play their way into a Symmetra Tour event. We don't have Monday qualifiers, so it's sort of serving as a Monday qualifier for us, but it's also, we found when those players uh, who've played the WAPT finally get into a Symmetra Tour event, they're performing much better than they do when they uh, when they come in cold. Their events are 72-hole, four-round events. So um, that's a partnership. It's in its second year this year. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost for us sort of a service to our members to say, you know, not everybody's going to get into the, some of these early events and in many cases it's a function of uh you know how they played in q school which is everybody knows is that you know sort of a four round russian roulette and for whatever reason you might play poorly on one of those four rounds and guess what you can't play on the symmetra tour but opportunity to uh to play your way in and we found players who played in those events won them and played into the symmetra tour events as members I ended up reshuffling and keeping their cards. So it was a successful partnership and might be sort of a good opportunity for your student to sort of test, see where her game is after, sort of against that second tier of Symmetra Tour uh, players without necessarily diving into the deep end. I didn't even know that existed, so thank you so much. That's awesome. 
Yeah, great, great for sharing that. Thank you, Mike. And uh, and yeah, Cindy, those are some great, uh, great questions. We're going to put you on the spot this morning, Mike. So uh, I hope you're, okay. uh, I hope you're prepared. Um, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, Cindy's already got me, hit me with some zingers. I feel yeah. like I'm up here on the debate stage getting pummeled. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry. Just, just. just just keep in mind, Mike, it was Cindy that asked those questions, not me. So. Right. Exactly. Um, well, hopefully but, I did my it, best uh, debate. I did my de- best debate pivot. To n- I don't know the answer, so I'm going to go talk about this. So I, hopefully I uh, right. did a good, no, good enough did. job with that to make people believe I know what I'm talking about. You did fantastic, as always, Mike. Thank <laughs> you. Um, I just want to play off the players for, <clears throat> pardon me, for just a second, because it was one particular that caught my eye very early this season on the LPGA, and that was Perrine Delacour from France. Um, she was, of course, uh, among the group of Volvic Race uh, for the card winners last season, and she was actually on our show uh, multiple times last year because she, she, I guess she won a, a few times. But um, uh, she had a really good showing in one of the very early – in fact, I think it might have been the first event this season uh, on the LPGA. She was at one point uh, sort of in the, the second to the third uh, placing, if you will, uh, in the t- early in the tournament, and ultimately I think she finished uh, uh, number 10 in the top 10. So – um, she had a very, very good showing. So w- would you agree that, that that's really a testament of the quality of players coming off the Symmetra Tour? Well, yeah. Well, so Perrin, I believe, was a graduate a number of years ago from the Symmetra Tour. So she right. sort of gra- graduated twice. So last year, she, you're correct, she was ended up being our player of the year. So she was number one on the Volvic race for the car. She ended up being our player of the year. But what was interesting is I believe she won twice last year which were her yeah. first two professional victories anywhere in the world. So, you know, a number of years ago, I think it was around the time that I started with the tour, so 2012-2013, I think she graduated onto the LPGA. So she sort of played the LPGA and probably played at a little LET. But last year was the first time she'd actually won professionally, won twice. And I think that that sort of confidence, I mean, you talk to a player, I've never won a professional golf tournament. I've never won any golf tournament, so – uh so, but, you know, you talk to, listen to players and they talk about like how, you know, you have to be there enough to learn what it takes to win and how to handle the nerves and the mental and all of that kind of stuff. So I think when you look right. at that, I think Perrin is probably a much better player now after having competed against what was most certainly better competition, you know, in 2019 on the Symmetra Tour than when she graduated the last time. But now also she knows that she's won against that competition. You know, she's beaten players like Julieta Granada, who's won on the LPGA Tour. And you start sort of looking and saying, you know, if I can beat these players and win out here, I can do it out there as well. And that, you know, that kind of goes back to where, uh, conversation started with Cindy is we're, we're finding that our players, once they get up there, seem to have a different level of confidence uh, in their game and are finding success. Whereas, you know, like I said, back in 2013, you know, we would just be looking at our play when we, we opened up the leaderboard, you'd immediately go to the cut line and see how many players were above it or below it. And now you can really start, you know, from the top and see, you know, oh, there's Nelly Cordo, oh, there's Perrin Delacour, oh, there's Celine Boudia, you know, Hannah Green, that are our players who've graduated from the tour are regularly in the uh, in the top ten, which is uh, if you told me that you know five years ago I would have said you're crazy. But um, that's uh, you know right. a testament to our rule staff for setting up the golf courses more like uh, like we find in the LPGA Tour, and it's frankly a testament to um, the players that we've been able to attract. I think a lot of it has to do with you know, the fact that we've raised purses and we've created a geographic flow for the tour that makes it friendly to players who aren't necessarily, 
you know, Native Americans, um, or excuse me, not Native Americans, but, uh, you know, American citizens who, um, who, you know, come over here maybe for college and, and want to stay because they realize, hey, this is something I can do. You know, I can rent a car and, and travel, travel along. And, and when people say, so what sort of changed it? I really point to when Madeline Sangstrom back in 2016, she played 12 times and won close to $170,000, which, you know, isn't, in the world of golf, that's not a ridiculous amount of money, but, um, you know, if you're just driving around and playing out of the trunk of your car and staying in host housing, you know, the players say it costs about $50,000 to do that over the course of a Symmetra Tour season, and she won 167000 and I think a lot of players around the world were like, wow, you know, she did that, and she only, she didn't even play in two-thirds of the events, and she, you know, set the all-time uh, money list record, so I think players looked at that and said, well, if I'm a good enough player, I can go over there make a hundred thousand dollars and uh, find my way onto the LPGA tour. And so by attracting that higher level of talent, obviously better talent produces better graduates and better competition week in, week out. Yeah. Well said. And, and, you know, just to, again, just one final thought about, you know, Perrin and, and you mentioned Julieta, you know, I know when we talked to them last year, one of the obviously advantages that they did have is they both had been on the LPGA before, uh, even though they had to come back through uh, Symmetra last season, uh, so they had somewhat of a, a clear insight of what to expect, where some of the, obviously the, the newer players uh, haven't maybe had that experience yet. So it obviously gives them a clear advantage. And I think that's why you see them, particularly the second time around, like Perrin, uh, you know, I didn't watch the whole tournament, but I watched uh, quite a bit of it. And, uh, you know, she really shone out there. And, and ultimately, you know, to finish in a top 10 in a major, uh, not a major tournament, but a, uh, on a major stage like that, says a lot to uh, the caliber of player that she was, so, uh, and is rather. But, um, yeah, it just really tells a lot about the Symmetra Tour. I want to <clears throat> want to ask one other question about the players, and then I want to talk just a little bit about the sponsorship and, and so forth. But, you know, I know that obviously you want to really encourage and attract um, more, you know, young women to, to golf. Does the Symmetra Tour, along with the players, what sort of uh, opportunities do you help to create or, or work together with these players to really reach back into their communities and, and help really uh, a lot of young girls that may be looking at them and saying, hey, um, not necessarily they're going to make it out on tour themselves, but to, to help them really pursue their dreams? Because obviously these girls have, have decided that uh, you know, golf is what they want to do. Um, does the Symmetra Tour help play a role in that to, to help them encourage to, to reach back into their communities and, and inspire other young women to, to do the same? Well, I, th- I think the good thing is, um, and the nice thing is, is that I think our players are role models without us cajoling or, you know, asking them to be, um, you know, the both on the LPGA and Symmetra Tour, I think, you know, obviously both having been to LPGA Tour events, see how approachable our players are and, you know, giving high fives right. to young girls they see on the ropes and staying to sign autographs afterwards. The accessibility of our players, both on the LPGA and then obviously the Symmetra Tour where the crowds aren't as big and you can get up close and personal with the players. But I don't think there's a player who um, is in our uh, – is plays on the Symmetra Tour who, whether it's here in the U.S. or maybe where they grew up playing in Australia or Europe – who doesn't sort of see themselves on the rope line, you know, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was, and remember their experience of going to their first um, LPGA or women's professional golf tournament somewhere else in the world and, you know, being inspired by some player who, uh, you know, gave them an autograph or gave them a high five, gave them their glove, gave them their ball, whatever the case might be. So 
we don't uh, I don't want to say that we don't we, we obviously encourage it, but it's not something that I feel like we really harp on or anything like that because right. you know I, like the players remember being that young girl on the ropes and if and you know as I mentioned uh, I'm sure on this show before because it's my favorite Symmetra tour story, but the first you know player that I ever met when I joined the the literally the first player I met when I came aboard on the Symmetra tour was a player who had been inspired to play golf because she attended a Symmetra Tour event in her hometown 15 years earlier and had never picked up a golf club prior to going to that, you know, event. And, you know, next thing she become you know, becomes uh, a member of the golf team at Wake Forest on a full ride. And, you know, a Symmetra Tour member never made it to the LPGA Tour. But, you know, that that's my favorite story um, about the Symmetra Tour. And that's, you know, you, you, to your point, we're not necessarily trying to create LPGA players, but just uh, the next right. generation of golfers. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and I and I uh, suspected that. I just was curious if you know. Obviously, again, I know you're not, as I said, conjoling them or, or trying to, um, you know, other than an encouragement uh, whenever possible. But uh, I was just curious whether or not um, you find that that's something that they sort of are doing on their own, or or if that's something that the, or if there are opportunities through Symmetra um, to really be able to to talk about their journey. Um, you know, along the way. So that was really where, where my question was coming from. I, I want to just very quickly, and then Cindy, I'm going to pass it back to you. I want to just talk, uh, and I'll sort of try to wrap these two into one sort of question, if you will, uh, about sponsorship. Obviously, uh, you know, Mike, you know as well as I do that sponsorship is, um, you know, obviously an integral part of the tour success. What do you see from a, for the sponsors in today's Symmetra Tour product, if you will, as opposed to you know, uh, eight, 10 years ago, what do you see? Obviously, you know, purses have increased, but, um, what do you see is what, what's being offered today to, to sponsorships as opposed to five to 10 years ago? Well, I think, I think it's sort of, um, twofold and this may not seem, uh, this may seem sort of odd as an answer for a sponsors, but, uh, because of the success we've had with the tour and building out the schedule and betting, getting access to better golf courses, sort of better golf courses, breed better golf courses. So, um, when I started with the tour, you know, you'd maybe go talk to a private country club and say, are you interested in having a tournament? And then they'd look down the list of other places that you're playing and think, well, is that really the company I want my country club keeping? Because they, um, without, right. you know, being disrespectful, they weren't sort of necessarily always the highest caliber venues. And I think um, so now sure. because of the success we've had with the tour, people are interested in the Symmetra tour, which allows us access to better venues which now you're saying to a company, you know, hey, would you be interested in affiliating your brand with the Symmetra Tour on this golf course? And I can assure you that the quality of that golf course is a big consideration when it comes down to whether a corporation wants to put their um, name on on a tournament. So I would say that's um, that's sort of the first part. And then sort of second part, not to be too repetitive, but, you know, the caliber of play, when we can point to players, you know, like Nelly Corder, Hannah Green, and um, Celine Boudier, and Perrine Delacour having success, it's, you, you, mm-hmm. when you can point to your recent graduates and say, hey, just so you know, these players were on this Symmetra Tour last year or two years ago. So I don't know who the, these players are currently right now, but I can assure you that this caliber of player is in this field. So in sponsoring this tournament, you're going to be a part of launching the career, or in some cases for LPGA players who come back, sort of relaunching their career onto the LPGA. So there's so much of a finer line right now between the play on the LPGA and Symmetra Tour uh, than at any time in its history. You know, you can say to a sponsor who maybe doesn't have 
you know, the multi-million dollar budget to sponsor an LPGA Tour event. You can have LPGA Tour caliber play, you know, in your backyard and uh, be a part of maybe it's a little bit different. That They're not sort of the stars now, but you're a part of uh, certainly launching their careers and being a part of sort of the, the women's empowerment story that, that's out there so much right now in corporate America. And just one final uh, thing on sponsorship. Um, you know, obviously the funding is is um, a, a, a premium, of course, to uh, uh, to be involved. But uh, what are some of the other roles that uh, sponsors play in, in hosting events? Uh, it really varies from from place to place. But you know, we have um, four tournaments that are held in uh, partnership with uh, casinos. So. Uh, they not only serve as the title sponsors, but all of the parties will take place at the at the casino and sort of their banquet facility. And if they have a hotel, the players will will stay in the hotel as long as as well as the sponsors. And in many cases, you know, their their employees will provide us with host housing for our players or come out and volunteer. So it's um, you know we we found that with the uh, with the tournaments, the title sponsors. Uh, are much more interested in just writing a check. They they sort of see it as a community experience, and that community is not just sort of the external community, but sort of their internal employee community as well. So it's uh, become something of uh, great pride within the the companies that that sponsor us. And you know, we always say, you know, when we talk about host housing and things of that nature, a lot of people are like, oh gosh, that's going to be you know a pain to arrange for host housing and find players, you know, people who want to do that. But we really find that that's becomes in many cases the glue that helps keep an event in the community because when you put take these players off of the golf course and you put them into the homes of people in the community who are in many cases influential members of the country club possibly employees at your title sponsor you know that becomes the thing that in many cases sort of keeps the connectivity to the event throughout the year because those players are communicating with those folks and even though the event might only be that one week a year it helps us create the the connectivity, the other sort of 51 weeks of the year. All right. Sounds good. Um, Cindy, go ahead. How big a role does diversity and inclusion play in obtaining sponsors? Does well, that it, matter? Oh, it's, uh, it's certainly huge. I mean, there's so much focus right now in the media and in corporate America around, you know, the amount of money that's been spent on men's sports versus women's sports. I mean, it's maybe a half of a percent, you know, or something like that when you look at sort of the global spending on men's sports versus women's sports. So that's certainly helpful. But at the same time, while that that's sort of in many cases can be in a door opener, the, the sponsorship still has to deliver value to the to the corporation. So while we may get the initial look because somebody may say, look, we, we need to sort of start spending in the in the women's sports space and you know hopefully the LPGA is top of mind in that decision but at the end of the day whether it's the marketer or the business development person the they've got to be able to justify the decision on why they want to spend on the LPGA or for Symmetra tour so i would say more than anything it, it's a door opener but it, the decision can't be made um solely on that and the the good thing is is that uh you know, in terms of the value that we deliver, we feel pretty good, whether it's the Symmetra Tour or LPGA Tour, in terms of being able to deliver that value to the sponsor. But um, it certainly doesn't, there's without question, it does not uh, hurt in any way that that's so much of the current uh, discussion point in, in corporate America. Sounds good. And this is like coming out of left field. What's the your favorite part of your job? 
Oh, that that well, that's easy. That's um, that's the uh, Sunday when we hand out the the ten cards because it's um, it's almost like uh, if we can all possibly harken back to the day that we sort of you know finished our the last test of our last uh, day of college, right? You know, and it was sort of you know and getting sort of conferred. You knew your d- diploma would be conferred in the next couple of days, and you know to sit you know to sort of stand up there at the podium and look out at the ten players who have, uh, you know, just graduated and, you know, either achieved their dream or, again, like a player like Julieta Granada found their way back and sort of, uh, you know, dug it out of the dirt, as, as Ben Hogan said, um, you know, that that's cool because they've got their, you know, their family and friends. And I sort of think about, you know, I've got a daughter who's 12 years old and thought about is when I'm up there, it's hard for me not to see my daughter in the faces of those, you know, young ladies out there and sort of think, wow, you know, how proud the, uh, the parents must be to see their daughters achieve their dreams. So there, there's no question. That's uh, definitely the most uh, re- rewarding time of the year because we get to celebrate it with all of the staff too, who've been out on the road for 20 plus weeks, you know, pulling it all together. You know, it's a, it's a long grind, but uh, that day makes it worthwhile for everybody. Awesome. Ted. Um, Mike, let me ask you, it kind of reminds me of, of something I know we talked about last year and, um, you know, there was some stretches, one particular, I think, where you had, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there was seven or possibly even eight tournaments back to back. Is this going to be similar this season where you're going to have some long stretches? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. Well, I mean, it's sort of unfortunately unfortunate that there's, uh, you know, from about the Memorial Day to Labor Day time frame, that's the one sort of window of time where you can play anywhere in the country. So um, for those places in the Northeast and Midwest, and in some cases, we're, we're now sort of uh, moving up to the, the Northwest as well. Uh, the uh, there's only so many times of year that you can play in these places. So, um, you know, we're fortunate that uh, we have a lot of demand. We try to take some weeks off where we can, but you know, if a sponsor or a golf course is is ready to go, and you know, we're we're now as new events are coming on the schedule, um, we have a minimum threshold of two hundred thousand dollar purse. So, where we might at one mo- moment be looking at possibly having a week off when uh, we're able to sell in a new title sponsor, and these ladies are able to play for something north of two hundred thousand dollars. Um, we're, we're, we're going to forego the week off to give them a place to play. And, you know, some of them will have to take that week off, which will provide opportunities for others. And that's part of, you know, being a professional golfer is learning what your body can do and, you know, how you can, you got to schedule your breaks, even when there might be a tournament and you have to be content, you know, sitting at home, watching the LPGA tournament on the couch while some player behind you jumps you on the money list. Cause it was in your, you know, physical and mental best interest to take a week off. So, um, it's definitely hard on the staff. It's hard on the players, but you know that that's part of being a professional golfer is figuring out when to to take weeks off to rest and what to do on those weeks off and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's yeah, it's <laughs> unfortunate that we put the players in that position, but at the same time, it's nice to have that problem because I can assure you, when I started with the tour and we had only 15 events, uh, you know, back then it was like, when do you want to play? And you know, we'll we'll throw you on the schedule. Now we. Uh, now we have uh, much less uh, supply, and uh, you know, so that's that's a good place to be. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. Uh, let me just ask you one final question, and and you know, this is this is not really. Uh, I'm not looking for necessarily a specific answer, but obviously, this has been in the minds of a lot of people here in recent weeks. Obviously, we have. Um, you know, the coronavirus that people are, are dealing with. And, and fortunately, you know, touch wood, it has not become a, as big of a problem here in the United States. But is that something that um, those of you in the tours have talked about? Like, 
maybe put together sort of a contingency plan in the event if something were to uh, you know manifest to a bigger um, uh, you know a, a bigger situation. Um, what do you do? How do you handle a situation like that if suddenly um, you know travel becomes a, a tougher issue uh, uh, for players? Well, uh, you may or may not be aware that we uh, we on the LPGA side we had to cancel three tournaments uh, in Asia due to the coronavirus and just sort of being um, uh, you know sort of precautionary and making sure that I've, you know that was in the early stages of of it and so we've already canceled three LPGA tournaments but um, you know here domestically at this point you know we feel pretty confident that with sort of the typical precautionary measures. So we, we meet on it uh, fairly regularly. We, we met on it yesterday. We'll meet on it again tomorrow. So we're certainly taking it, uh, taking it seriously. And in many cases, you know, just following the, the lead of the, the government and the CDC in terms of uh, what we're going to do. But, you know, preca- taking precautionary measures of sort of just having, you know, hand sanitizer at every turn and, you know, encouraging players, volunteers, et cetera, to, you know, wash your hands and be diligent and things of that nature. So, um, you know, we're fortunate that, you know, no players will have been precluded from uh, coming into the States to, to play on the Symmetra tour. So we're, we're fine as far as players getting in, but uh, there's hundred uh, percent. We are, you know, closely monitoring it and, you know, hopefully it'll sort of get contained and we'll have a vaccine here shortly. But in the meantime, we're, we're definitely being diligent and having all of those sort of conversations about what can we do to, you know, limit contact potentially of players and fans and, and things of that nature. Less of a concern on the Symmetra Tour, given the scope of the events, sure. but definitely on the LPGA, something that uh, we're looking at as, as the season, sort of the domestic season starts rolling in uh, in Arizona in a couple of weeks. Right, exactly. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, Cindy, any final thoughts or questions before we uh, we let Mike go? I am good. Thank you for spending time with us and answering those difficult questions. Have a great season. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, we appreciate your support and uh, look forward to having our uh, winners and top uh, players join you throughout the season. So appreciate your support and helping to tell the story of the Symmetra Tour and these uh, fantastic athletes. Well, we thank you, Mike, and and appreciate it. And uh, we always love having you come on the show to to kick off the season. We'll have you on again, I'm sure, throughout the season and uh, particularly uh, to wrap up uh, once it comes to a conclusion. But uh, thank you very much for again for coming on and answering some questions and, and spending some time with us this morning. Sounds good. Have a good weekend year. Do All right, same. thank you, guys. All right, that was uh, Mike Nichols, uh, Chief Business Officer of the Symmetra Tour. And uh, Cindy, it sounds like they've got a good game plan for the season, and uh, obviously he's excited to, uh, to get, things, uh, get things going next week. Absolutely. Sounds good. Well, Cindy, um, you know what time of, of the show it is. It's, uh, it's time to enter the no BS zone once again. And, but I thought before, uh, since we hadn't done this uh, the first couple of shows, um, that we would play a promotional uh, spot that you have done. Um, and uh, we'll do that first, and then we'll, we'll get back into our, our discussion. Sounds good. So have a listen. Everyone knows business deals are made on the golf course. Knowing how to act is just as important as how you hit it. As an LPGA professional and corporate trainer, I offer workshops, seminars, and executive retreats to teach you how to do both. From the back nine to the boardroom, improve your team from the inside out, or Golf 101 for executives might be the perfect fit for your team. 
Maybe it's time to make some deals on the course. For more information, go to cindymillerinc.com. And be sure to do that uh, at the end of the show. Uh, go to cindymillerinc.com and you can check out all of her uh, different things that she has on her website. And you can reach out to her there. All of her contact information is on that site as well. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Cindy, we are going to enter once again into the no BS zone. And this week, um, we are going to continue on the discussion. Last week, we talked about the beginner golfer uh, with the beginner's guide. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk a little bit about what an intermediate golfer needs. So that's a little bit better player, and I'm going to give you some uh, examples of, of things that uh, uh, might differ from a beginner and an intermediate. Um, but let me just tell you a little bit about this, and then we'll, we'll begin our discussion. An intermediate golfer has worked hard to go beyond uh, beginner status. Uh, they break 100 fairly easily and even break 90 on a regular basis. An intermediate golfer understands that hitting down on the ball makes it go up uh, with the iron, so you're starting... Uh, to make consistent contact with the ball. Uh, you are beginning to understand the details of swing plane and club head path and the keys to getting to be a really good golfer. So uh, those are some, some key points that uh, an intermediate golfer has a little bit better knowledge, if you will. And just some, some interesting facts, Cindy, uh, just statistics that have sort of been compiled together um, between our, our beginner and intermediate golfers. Uh, again, the average score is 100 plus for our beginning golfer and anywhere from 85 to 100 for our intermediate. Um, as far as warming up uh, an hour before playing, this is something, Cindy, that beginners never do uh, or very, very rarely. Uh, intermediate golfer, maybe. Um, so there's a little bit uh, different there. Uh, as far as pre-shot routines, uh, again, beginners seldomly if ever have a pre-shot routine and again sort of a maybe if you will for uh, our intermediate golfers so I think one of the things and I want to get your thoughts here as far as um, our intermediate fundamentals if you will of, of becoming a, a better player uh, and that is really something I've heard you talk about many many times and that is really learning how far you hit each club would you agree with that and, and talk a little bit about that why that's important well I think Let's back that up a, a little bit. I think it's really important that you you learn your own personal pre-shot routine. How do you plan, prepare, and produce a shot? And once you become consistent at that, then you start to watch to see how far is the ball going. And then you would write that down and make notes and maybe have a little uh, spreadsheet or graph that would tell you, you know, I hit – this club 50 yards, this club 60 yards, you know, what do I need to do to hit it 100 yards? So absolutely, I agree. Yeah, and, and you know, what's interesting is, and again, obviously as, as golfers progress, and we'll talk about our, our more advanced golfers and even our professional golfers in later discussions, but, you know, one of the things that, the other thing that we quite often see uh, with our amateur golfers particularly is, um, playing within their own capability. Um, this is something almost never done by beginners and, again, maybe uh, or occasionally done with intermediate golfers. So as the golfer improves, um, they begin to um, understand and play within their own means. And obviously learning how far to hit each club is going to help them better prepare as they continue to transition a little bit further on. And one thing you know, mentioned already was uh, developing a consistent pre-shot routine. Um, this is something that really, Cindy, you know as well, playing out on tour uh, for a number of years, 
that if you don't have a good pre-shot routine, um, it, it's very difficult to organize yourself while, while you're out in the golf course. Would you agree with that? <laughs> Without a doubt. And, and you know what I've, what I've noticed, because we do so many boot camps and playing lessons with people, I don't think I ever realized how much thinking there is and thought control <clears throat> and focus that needs to happen on the golf course. And when I take someone that's new, I, I'm like, well, how would they know that they need to do that? And what I'm talking about, purchased Operation 36, so we're going to start our mm-hmm. programming in the spring. And Operation 36, they believe that everyone should be able to shoot even par, which is 36 for nine holes from 25 yards. Then you move back to 50 yards. Then you move back to 100 yards. And, and I, I, I fell in love with their mindset, if you will, because people need to be aware of, oh, well, how far is this? Well, what do I need to go over? All the obstacles in front of you. So knowing how far you hit the ball and what, you know, obstacles are in front of you and what you need to do and what the, what the weather's doing and what's the wind doing, what's your lie look like. All these things are incorporated into planning, preparing and producing a shot. So pre-shot routine is really important. Knowing how far you hit the ball. It's, I, I just think, yes, everyone should start at 25 yards and, and move in and try to shoot even par from there because it's going to help you be successful and you're also going to realize how important chipping and putting is. So I kind of went off topic right there, but, you know, forgive no, me, but no, I think fine. it's really important. You, yeah, no, you answered that uh, quite well. And, 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 you know, just, again, you've been for the last several weeks, you've been, uh, you know, you've been doing uh, these boot camps. And when you look at some of these players uh, that have come down to join you and Alan in, um, in Florida, you know, obviously you, you saw firsthand how many of them actually even had pre-shot routine and uh so talk a little bit about that i mean you had you know some of them you may have known from from previous uh boot camps maybe or or other exposure that they've been uh with you in, in allen but um for the most part did did any of them or did some of them kind of have a routine and and how did you address that if they didn't most of them had a routine because to be able to go to boot camp you need to know how to hit the golf ball because otherwise you'd be horrified because it's four days of nine to 10 hour days. We start breakfast. Then we have, you know, three hours of instruction, have lunch and play holes every afternoon. So, but what I find with most golfers anywhere in the world is when you start, you want to hit the ball and we have to change your mindset that we don't want you to try to hit the ball. We want you to learn how to swing the club because if you learn how to swing the club, you will always hit the ball. So people are thinking, oh, I've got to try to hit the ball. And then they look at the top of the ball. Then they top the ball. Then they can't hit the ball. Then they try harder to hit the ball. And they're not focused on what they're doing with the tool that will hit the ball if they swing the tool correctly. So I think it's changing the mindset of the player to focus on what they're doing with the club that will make the ball go where they want it to. Right. Exactly. 
No, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, another area, too, and, and you really touched on this a little bit um, just a few moments ago, but, you know, to, to really become even better um, than just an inter- intermediate golfer and, and being able to take it to the next level, and that is really learning a good course, uh, learning good course management. And that's something that a lot of people I don't think really understand. You touched about that, but maybe explain a little bit more, if you wouldn't mind, um, what it really means to be, you know, when you say course management, what, do, what are you talking about there? Well, I believe you need to know your own ability and what level you're at. So let's pretend we're on a par three and there's, it's 100 yards to the hole. Well, and there's a bunker in front of the green. So now we say, well, how far is it to carry the bunker? And let's say it's 85 yards to carry the bunker. And the wind's in your face. So now, well, how far is the 85 yards going to play? It's blowing about 10 miles an hour. So let's say it's playing 95 yards to carry the bunker. Well, now you need to know, well, what club do I carry 95 yards? Now, I would go a step further and say, well, what's past the pin? Is the pin in the front or the back? So let's say the pin is in the middle of the green, and you've got 20 paces past the pin, So now you're carrying 95, but you can hit this ball up to 120. So instead of saying, well, I've got to carry it 95 yards, and then you skink the shot and you bury it in the bunker, you know, let's carry it 115, take the extra club. If you don't hit it perfect, you're still on the front of the green. So it's thinking intelligently. And that goes back to that mindset of I'm trying to hit the ball and I'm trying to knock it by the hole. And I'm, it's like, let's step, take a step back and think this through so that you can play smarter golf and, and know that I typically am a competitive control freak and I would think the wrong way, but I married a guy who played on the tour for 15 years who was in the top 25 in fairways and greens hit. So he was like the mm-hmm. tortoise that would just be intelligent and, and, he would say, well, now, wait a minute. We've got all this room behind the pin. And I'm like, oh, I never thought that thought. Well, hello, get a little smarter. (laughs) So that's what I mean by course management. What are you not seeing that could make your round way less stressful and have more fun? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's a great point because many, many players focus on where all the trouble is. They know where the bunkers are. They know, and, and you certainly have to be cognizant of that. You have to know where the trouble is, but that's what they focus on. They don't focus on that nice open area behind the green that really can act as a bailout if, if they happen to be a little bit long. Um, instead, they're thinking, well, just let me get it over the water or let me just get away from those bunkers. And they don't really put a, a, a solid game plan. And what's interesting, uh, I just want to read something here <clears throat> that, that Jack Nicholas once famously said. He said he talks about going to the movies. You know, he's talking about visualization here. He says, going to the movies where he precisely builds a mental movie of the shot, uh, complete with intended ball flight, whether it's a draw, fade, high, low, whatever. Uh, and he actually visualizes the ball landing on the green and rolling to the hole. Um, so, you know, he creates a, a mental picture. So when he steps up to each shot, you know, he's looking, obviously he's aware of where trouble might be, um, but he's visualizing uh, the shot. And that's part of his course management uh, is to be able to visualize that shot. Because if you can't see it in your mind, 
um, then it becomes even that much more difficult to try and execute the shot. If you don't have, know how the shot's ultimately going to look, now it doesn't mean necessarily you're going to hit it that uh, exact way, um, depending on your ability, but if you can't even visualize it in your mind, then how can you even come close to trying to execute a shot uh, of, that, of that caliber? So, you know, you have to sort of build a mental picture, and it can be done very quickly. People, you know, you're not taking an, an exorbitant amount of time, but you have to get an idea of, of visualizing that shot that you're about to hit uh, before you actually step up to the ball. So I think that's some very good, sound advice from one of the best, arguably one of the best players in the world. Um, and the other thing, Absolutely. I think, just right, wouldn't you agree? I mean, and, and I think, you know, everybody has a different approach to that. Um, you know, again, you have to find what works best for you. Some people are very, very visual. Uh, you know, I'm a very visual person. So for me, those visual cues are, are important. It, it would be much easier if I was out on the golf course visualizing what I needed to do and seeing where things are than if somebody tried to explain the hole to me. Um, you know, in the clubhouse I said, well, you know, when you go to this par three, this is what you're going to see. I have a harder time visualizing it in my mind until I actually see it. Uh, because for me, then I can start to pick the shot and say, okay, here's what I want to do. And here's where I need to, to land the ball, um, you know, uh, to set myself up uh, again, depending on the, the, uh, the par uh, hole it is, but uh, to setting myself up for the next shot. So um, visualization is extremely important, and I think that is, again, part of course management. And the final one is, of course, um, you know, getting your short game uh, up to par. This is really what makes or breaks, I think, from um, a, a very high handicapper to a much better player is it's not how far they hit the ball necessarily, but how accurate they are, especially around the greens. Touch a little bit about that as we get ready to wrap up. It's so true, and I think, you know, I- I had three little boys, four, six, and seven on Sunday, and they're in the U.S. Kids Golf Program, and they're at level one, and the hardest piece to pass and get your pin is the short game. So what I had them do is stand on the edge of the green and toss balls as if they were hitting a shot with one hand. So if they were right-handed, mm-hmm. they were standing there as if they're going to hit the shot and then just give a little toss. I think it really is helpful for people to get an awareness of how big a swing do I need to take and how hard do I really need to hit this because taking something off of a shot is almost harder than going full steam ahead. So I think one of right. the key components of helping you get better at your short game and having feel and touch around the green might be just to toss balls before you ever put a club in your hand. And that'll help you realize, wow, I don't need to give it that much effort to get this ball to end up by the cup. So I think that would help people a lot. Right. And well said. And just, uh, just a few more quick points. I want to just point out from, um, from again, from last week, our beginning golfers to our intermediate, just to show you the difference in, in how they think. Um, one of the points is t- whether they check yardage uh, to target for each shot. Uh, beginning golfers never do that. They really don't check. You know, they kind of look with their eyes and say, well, it looks like it might be this, and they just pull out a club with whatever they think they might hit that far. Um, and, and intermediate golfers, um, again, are in that maybe category. They, they do it sometimes. They're not, again, as consistent as they should be, um, but at least they are uh, to some degree, checking the yardages. But uh, again, they certainly need to do a better job than that. The other thing is, um, 
when it comes to lessons. Most very beginning golfers, a lot of them haven't taken lessons. They go out there and, you know, maybe they're still trying to see whether they enjoy the game or not or whether they're going to even, uh, you know, uh, be interested. And I can understand that. But I think, you know, not taking lessons is, is really doing yourself a disservice. And I'm not just saying this to, you know, to, to build up our, our, uh, our, our lesson plans and, and things like that. But I'm just saying it that if you really want to get into this game, and, and again, with our intermediate golfers, you know, they may have taken a few lessons, but again, they're not really um, as, as focused on that as much. Um, but you really need to get with somebody who's qualified, who can help you um, sort of put together a game plan, if you will, and, and work around uh, obviously your schedule, but uh, your abilities and help you to draw out. I mean, you might be surprised at just how good of a golfer you could be if you had the right instruction. So that's something to really uh, you know, uh, consider very strongly. And the last one, you know, which was kind of interesting as well, and we, we're going to see a pattern because I'm going to talk about the other two as we progress through the weeks, but um, the average number of greens in regulation. Um, a beginning golfer it can be anywhere from zero to three greens and regulations, which is not very much, but you know, it's not too bad for somebody that's maybe never played very much. Um, but now we're getting uh, for intermediate golfers, it's three to eight. So now we're getting a little bit more serious as they improve and they're hitting again, um, scoring averaging between 85 and a hundred as opposed to over a hundred uh, on a regular basis. So they're starting to see some improvement and you want to build off of that momentum. Um, you know, when you start to see improvement like that, that's the time to really ramp things up and build on that um, uh, momentum and, and become to becoming a better player. So um, hopefully that helps uh, in this uh, week's edition of the No BS Zone. We're going to give it to you straight each and every week. And Cindy, any final thoughts as we, we wrap up and, and get ready to uh, continue on? Nope, I'm good to go. All right. Well, we want to thank uh, once again uh, Mike Nichols for joining us this morning, uh, Chief Business Officer of the Symmetra Tour. We're again excited to uh, help him launch uh, their new season. We should have uh, the very first winner on next week's plo- uh, next week's show uh, from this weekend's uh, Symmetra Tour event. Uh, I believe he said it was the Natural uh, down in Florida. So we're excited uh, about that, and we will bring you win- uh, uh, the winner next week. And we will also have uh, another. Uh, interesting discussion on the no BS zone. So on behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Rodrigo. Thank you, everybody. God bless for uh, joining us each and every week. And stay safe out there. We know there's a lot going on with the coronavirus. So just, uh, you know, be uh, be smart about it. And uh, if you don't need to, to do any uh, travel, don't by any means. And if you feel that you're not at your best, uh, then hunker down and uh, and consult your uh, uh, your professional and healthcare professional if need be. But uh, Uh, Just be safe out there. Thank you, everybody. God bless, and we'll see you next week on The Women of Golf. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening this morning to The Women of Golf Show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, Talk Stream Live, and, of course, Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.